Shiflet, pastor and author of yes. William Shiflet, and we were just talking about your your books. Uh, uh, what I would like to ask you to do, if if our podcast is a blessing to you and you would like to support us, Pastor William uh, donates his time for this podcast. He takes time out of his busy schedule to mentor me. This is what this all started with, the mentoring process of of me and we've been reading books now for how long has it been? A couple, a couple, three years. Yeah. So yeah. it's been a time goes by fast when you're having fun. And uh, I really enjoy this. So I decided not long ago, about a year ago that we re- would record it and hopefully it'd be a blessing uh, to you as well. So yes. if it is a blessing and you would like to support the ministry, uh, the pastor is also an author you know, of many books and he has a few up here. Um, one is Breaking the Lies of Generational Curses, which is an excellent book. Maelstrom Z, another good one, and The Creature. So you can go, I'll put a link down in the description to Amazon. You can purchase his books uh, through Amazon. Did, do you want to... Paperback and Kindle. Right. And there are four Christian life books and seven uh, uh, fiction, what I call family-friendly fiction. Right. means there's no graphic language, sexuality, or violence, but they're just really good stories. Exactly. I think so. <laughs> I think so as well. So uh, we have it's unanimous here. <laughs> so check that. Be sure to check that out. And, of course, discussing the book, The Creedal Imperative by Dr. Carl Truman. If you don't have a copy of that, you can probably get that on Amazon as well. I'm not sure, but... Uh, uh, at your favorite Christian bookstore. Get it, follow along with us as we discuss it, and I'm sure the book will be a blessing uh, to you as well as it is uh, to us. We're in chapter two, which is entitled The Foundation of Creedalism. Last uh, chapter, chapter one, we talked about the cultural influence that has on churches and and why some, some churches' motto is no creed but the Bible, and what uh, Dr. Truman is going to do today is address some of those, although he said not point by point, but he's going to go through some of the uh, things and uh, and bring out that actually uh, that motto, no creed but the Bible, may not be biblical. Right. So we're right. going to take a look at that. Um, Pastor, he starts out at the beginning, of course, and uh, so we go back to Genesis 1. I'm going to quickly read through uh, verses 1 through 4, which say, In the beginning God created the heavens and earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And I always think of John 1.1, when I read those verses, and that reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, Pastor, our God is is a God who speaks, uh, and His Word is powerful 
and creative. Is that not true? Yes, it's very true. And and uh, and Dr. Truman brings it out again. I always worry about getting ahead of myself, but Dr. Truman brings out in this chapter, and we'll touch on more as we go. Mm-hmm. But the, but the idea of of God speaking versus are being guided by feelings and in intuition. And we have the speech of God in the word of God. Mm-hmm. And that is what we're to look at and not just uh, subjective feelings about what I think or how I feel. What does God actually say? Right. You know, I, I, I thought about it when you mentioned that no creed but the Bible. Well, that would be great if everybody knew the Bible as on the, if we were all on the same level of our biblical knowledge and we were all committed to the same principles that being drawn out of the Bible. And, of course, that's not true. And we're living in a day of biblical illiteracy where great numbers of people right. don't know the Bible. And so when you say, no creed but the Bible, if you don't know the Bible, it's almost like you're holding it up like a, some kind of a magic charm. You know, right. like in the old movies where they would hold a cross up in front of a vampire. And, and without any understanding of the significance of the cross... That, that somehow it had that power to, to turn back a vampire. And today we have people who, who will say they will profess an allegiance to the Bible, but they don't know what the, what Bible, the Bible actually says. says. And and so that's that's the part of the, that's another a nuance that I would put in about the problem with the idea of no creed but the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, we're talking about the adequacy of words. We talked about how culture looks at words as being inadequate. Uh, nowadays, we talked about that last chapter, <laughs> but uh, I couldn't help but uh, one of the books that we've discussed in the past was the doctrine of the Word of God, and of course, it talks about exactly the same thing that Carl Truman uh, speaks of. So I wanted to uh, go over just a few things and put the scripture verses in the description below. So if you want to see. Um, where this is in God's word, it'll be down in, in the description. But uh, Dr. Frame says all divine acts are performed by speech. He said God's eternal plan uh, is performed by speech. And that's found in Genesis 1, 26 and, and a bunch more verses. Um, his divine act of creation, which is the scripture that we read at the very beginning, in uh, God's providence over all things, in his judgment, and in his grace as well. So one thing I wanted to touch on is John 1, 1. Now, Pastor, when that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that's not saying that, of course, it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ in that verse. That's not saying that Christ was spoken into existence. No, no, exactly. It is an expression, and I like the way Dr. Truman brings out that when we say Jesus is the Word, it's not like the same thing as the an automobile is a Word, or a, or a tree is a Word. It right. signifies something much, much, much greater. But no, it does not mean that God somehow spoke Jesus into existence. Uh, it, it means, when you take in all the other passages of Scripture, that Christ is the ultimate expression of all that God is. Right. We use words to to speak to each other. And, uh, uh, you know, there used to be a, a statement that probably is not much in vogue now, but it was, uh, a man is only as good as his word. 
And, you know, that meant that when you, when you made a pledge, when you made a commitment, that commitment demonstrated who you really were. And, and it's like that with this concept of Christ as the Word. He is the expression of God, the revelation of God in the second person of the Godhead. But no, he was not created. Uh, that's one of the things about the creeds where the, the Nicene Creed we recite, it says, begotten, not made. Begotten, not made. There's a distinction there. Begotten, not made. And so, no, that, that does not mean that he was somehow came into existence when God spoke. He is, but he is the expression of God in revelation of himself to mankind. Um, Dr. Truman also brings out that God's word is a means of his presence. Um, how is divine speech a fundamental aspect of the special relationship that exists between God and those that are made in his image? Well, that could be a lot of, of uh, there's a lot of nuances there, but the fundamental thing is the concept of communication. All humans communicate. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, isn't it, that even people who cannot hear learn to communicate. Right. They, 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 we've developed this because of that, that, that context. We, we, we have to speak to other people. And, and so this is what is so important about God speaking to his people. It's part of the relationship that God speaks. And, of course, we always want to put in a caveat. He speaks to us primarily and ultimately through the word. Okay, and I emphasize that if I could take just a moment. Uh, <clears throat> there are ministers who are very committed, and I, and I applaud them, to the idea that we must go to the word. We hear God speak from the word. But the problem is they would actually say that God never speaks apart from the word. And I have a little bit of, of a challenge there in my heart because there are things that I need to know that really aren't in the scripture. For example, if I decide I'm going into ministry, which seminary do I attend? Mm-hmm. See, the, the scripture doesn't tell me, you know, the word semin- seminary is not in the Bible. So I have to, I have to seek God for that. And there is a sense in which I feel God spoke to me this way. So, so there's a, there's a, a practical concept of things in life that the Bible doesn't speak to, but we should always be guided by the scriptures so that if I decide, okay, I'm going to go to that seminary, but you know what? They're a little liberal. They're, they're kind of drifting and I don't want to get involved in that. You see, there I'm going back to the word and I'm saying, okay, if I'm going to go to seminary to learn how to use the word of God in ministry, then I'm going to need a seminary that's going to give me the, that's going to undergird my conviction that the Bible is God's word. Mm -hmm. So the Bible does cast direction upon it, but it doesn't specifically say, okay, you shall go to Westminster or you shall go to Trinity or you shall go to Wheaton. You know, Mm -hmm. it is, it's that kind of, of thing. But ultimately we must understand God speaks to us through his word. And then you come into the, another dimension of that, if I'm not rambling too much, the idea that God speaks to us through his word by virtue of human leaders. Uh, you, you know, you, you just can't go to the Bible and say, okay, here's what I think it means. Okay. And well, God speaks to me just as well as he does anybody else. Right. You know, if that were true, we would not have near the problems we have in the world and, and the number of cults that have risen or the number of, of groups that have come up and said, God told me. 
And the next thing you know, they're, they're believing something completely. What was it a few weeks ago, the, the pastor that my daughter mentioned who went on TV and said, the world is going to end at three o'clock this afternoon. Yeah. And we're still here. Right. I mean, that kind of craziness, that person genuinely felt that God has spoken to him. So we always have to stay with the word. Right. It's the word. Exactly. And uh, Dr. Frame also brings out that the, the word is God's presence. He, he said the word is written on, on our heart. And that's what uh, there's the main, the key text in that, of course, is Jer- uh, Jeremiah 31, 31, I believe. Uh, but he also says that the revelation as the knowledge of God is given to all uh, believers. And that's Matthew 1, 1. And following verses, and Christ is the present word. Now, what's the uh, what's the verse in Hebrews? Say in sundry times, um, chapter one, verse one through three. Is that He spoke to us in times past by uh, in various manners in time past, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Right. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate, the final word of God, if you will. Right. Uh, as He is unpacked throughout all of scripture as the final word. It's one of the things that people don't, I don't know that all people, all Christians understand. He's the final word, but the final word does not contradict all the previous words. Right. See that that's people, people have this idea that the crisis came along and now all this other stuff doesn't matter. No, he is. True. Yeah. He's like the, he's like the, 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 this is not a good analogy perhaps, but he's the rubber stamp that mm-hmm. says, this is it. This is all there is. It's all true. And, and, you know, even Jesus, that we believe the resurrection was the vindication of all that Jesus taught and preached. It right. proves that he was telling us the truth. And so many people will need to understand that. He is God's final word, the ultimate expression of God. But then that implies that everything that God has said about himself to that moment mm-hmm. has been reliable and truth, trustworthy and we should use it to guide our lives. Right. And it's interesting to me, too, uh, that that we see in God's word in the way his word is used to uh, give us revelation of God himself. We see the Trinity right. in that. We see Christ, of course, and we see the Holy Spirit. And Dr. Frame, uh, of course, points out that the Holy Spirit empower, empowers us. He illuminates us. He demonstrates and he also arouses response to yeah. uh, God's word. So if there is no response, then you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're dead yeah. in, in your in you're, your sin. You're a hearer, and not a doer. Right. You know, you think you're you're thinking that. Well, I heard. Uh, I went to church. The pastor preached. That's what we're supposed to do. No, you're supposed to apply what was preached, what was taught. And I, as a pastor, understand the challenge of trying to come to the pulpit and tell the scripture in a way that a person could readily apply it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, sometimes that's a little more difficult than other times, but there's much in the scripture that it's pretty clear what you're supposed to do. And it, it says this, now how do I apply that? Oh, well, okay. That's, that's pretty cut and dry. You know, mm-hmm. it's pretty cut and dry. Well, he goes on, he says that God's word is active and powerful. And I have a quote from Dr. Frame. Uh, not Dr. Truman, that I want you to uh, comment on. Dr. Frame says, as 
Lord, God controls all things and controls them by his speech. All of God's actions are performed by his word, his speech, his decretive will, therefore, by which he controls the whole course of nature and history is a function of his word. Everything happens because God has ordered it to happen by his word. Do you have any comments or on that or disagreements? Or? Oh, no, no disagreements. Just the, the observation again, which is something I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much a broken record on. It's, it, we, we just don't think through some of those kinds of things. Everything mm-hmm. God is doing is being done through his word. Uh, certainly God has words beyond scripture. Right. But he has given us scripture, and therefore this is what we go by, scripture. And we wrestle with the difficult sections, and we we reconcile this verse, which seems to be in contradiction to this, and we find out how they relate and how they work. Uh, but we always recognize that God is speaking through his word. It is work, He is speaking and working in the earth. Um, Dr. Truman goes on, he said, words are the means that God has chosen for his presence, and he brings out the importance of history. And, of course, we talked about last time about how history nowadays in our culture is not as important as really what it should be. Um, He points to uh, Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 through 27, and that reason, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So is the ritual of the pastor, uh, is the ritual of the Passover or any other ritual that we see in the Bible uh, meaningless without the historical background of that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when you think about what does Paul say in in Corinthians about communion? Mm -hmm. As often as you do this, you show the Lord's death. Uh, But do people, are are we reminded? That's one of the reasons why traditionally we have read that passage when we have communion from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as a reminder. Now, this is what this means. Here's the ritual. Here's what the ritual means. Now, you have to have words to explain the ritual. And that's what Dr. Truman is pointing out about. And, and frankly, I thought that was one of the best parts of the, of the chapter mm-hmm. because uh, I found it very practical. But the idea that, that you have to explain why, why this. Now, take, for example, years ago, now this is an old uh, citation, but they, they, they did a survey and they found that uh, something like three quarters of the young people in evangelical churches did not know why the church celebrated Easter. Now, how can that happen? We're, we're, we're observing an event without explaining what the event signifies. Right. And that's where the words come in. And by the way, that's another example of if somebody doesn't explain it, nobody's going to understand it. They will right. be able to say, I've gone to church all these years and I've had, I've been there on Easter Sunday, but never be able to explain what it means because we aren't explaining it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So so that's a very important point. He wants them to remember this event had significance for this reason. And you just fall into just observing the ritual without an explanation of what the ritual 
ritual means, and well, and that is so easy to do. Yeah, because there's so much to there's so much we want to talk about and and explain and and unpack, and it's just easy to lose track of that. Right, and we hear so so many uh, <coughs> not just, I, I, I was going to say younger people. But it's not just younger people no. talk about rituals in the church that we need to do away with the rituals and churches become too ritualistic. Well, a lot of times those rituals are there for a purpose. And God gives us, right. of course, uh, ordinance. He ordains the Lord's Supper and and, and Jesus said, do this in right. re- remembrance of, of me. So in remembrance, that's you're looking back to history, to what Christ has done through us, the through the breaking of his body and, and the shed blood on the cross. And that can't be done without history. Right. And it cannot be done without words right. uh, either. Right. So, and I, and I, I wonder, uh, and, and I just thought of this so just now, So, but I wonder if the reason why people feel that way, well, it's so ritualistic, is because we're not explaining the ritual. That's very If, possible, if we're just right. going through it, okay, now we're going to have communion. We're going to have Lord's Supper. We're going to, and everybody, they pass the place and they get it and they, they eat the bread in the cup and they right. go out. And they don't really, they don't see the significance of it because it's not being explained. Same thing with baptism. Uh, although obviously baptism is not something currently that happens in most churches with the same frequency as the Lord's Supper. Right. But yes, you could argue that it becomes very ritualistic because we don't know why. Mm-hmm. What is the significance of this, uh, of this, event this 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 uh, ritual and it is a ritual but it's a good ritual right. that reminds us of the death of Christ for our sins mm-hmm. all right well talking about history and the importance of history what was the role of a prophet in the old testament well predominantly the, the prophet in the old testament was to, really had twofold one was to call the people to repentance mm-hmm. okay so he was to call the people to repentance and uh, and then predict God's judgment or God's blessing for the future. Right. And in many of the prophets, you have just judgment. Okay, but some of them, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, there's a there's the judgment, and then there's the blessing that follows the judgment mm-hmm. that that God's going to bring about because He's going to turn His people to to obedience. Um, let me say one thing, uh, go back a moment to that uh, concept of ritual and the importance of ritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Truman makes a point about the presence of God being special in certain situations, that it was the presence of God was was greater in the ark than it was in some other part of Israel. Right. You, you knew God was there as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I was thinking through that earlier, and I thought about how tedious Many people look at obedience. But yet Jesus says in John's gospel, he says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And my father and I will come and make our home with you, with him, that person or with the church. So there is a greater blessing that comes out of obedience. All right. And so the, 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 what I'm trying to get at is if I understood that a greater per sense of God's presence and blessing comes out of obedience, then why would I ever tire of being challenged to obedience? 
Right. Because many people would say, and I'm using that because of the ritual, which we'll just go through this every week, and it's what he says every week, but you don't understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. If Jesus says, my father and I are going to be, you're going to have, you're going to sense a, a greater richness of our presence when you're walking obediently. Right. Then why wouldn't I want to be Wonder. challenged mm-hmm. to walk obediently exactly. because there's going to be a blessing that follows? And so that I, I'm trying to use that to illustrate that concept of, the ritual could become meaningless if I don't understand what is involved mm-hmm. and the benefits of it and the and the the the, the uh, revelation of God that's coming through it. Mm-hmm. I just see the ritual, and that's where we have to we have to explain we have to explain these things. And I I, I really appreciate uh, Jason, who's a, who's appears on your uh, on the podcast sometimes. Mm-hmm. Jason has a little boy and he's his little boy wants to participate in communion mm-hmm. and Jason hasn't allowed him to do that uh, until recently because he wants to make sure the boy understands, understands right. what is going on now that's really the role of parents okay and that's it's very commendable because mm-hmm. what he's saying is yes son I want you to participate in the ritual but I want to make sure you understand what, what the ritual about. is about and if I understand it, uh, then it's going to it's going to have so much more meaning to me when mm-hmm. I do that. Which which makes me think it, it, if you understand what you're doing, it's not a ritual, really. It becomes a ritual when you don't have right. any idea what what it's for, and you just go through the motions. Right now, that's a good observation. That's a very good observation. Is there a, th- that was a very good point about uh, the presence of of God in the ark? Is stronger. It, can you think of an example of where that might be true nowadays? Of course, well, we don't have the art, but um, well, no, but but I would I I say and and I've touched on this, of course, in the past couple of weeks with our series on the doctrine of the church. Mm-hmm. God promises to be amongst His people in a richer fashion than He does out there on your own. Right. Not to say again that you can't experience God away from the building, but that he promises that when we come together with our brothers and sisters, that he's there in a special way. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we don't, we don't think in this way, but it's almost like God says, you know, I'm going to be there in a special way this Sunday at church. And, and our attitude is, well, that's okay for those people, but I'm not really worried about being with you in a special way, God. I got, I got my own thing going here. Uh, so that yeah, and that that's what made that part of the chapter so uh, uh, pers- uh, so meaningful for me mm-hmm. was that that idea that yeah there there is a, God's God is everywhere, but he is he reveals himself in different measure in certain places right and. In the Old Testament, it was in the tabernacle, it was in the temple, mm-hmm. it was in the ark. Mm-hmm. In the New Testament, it's in the gathering of his people. Right. And so that's why that's another thing that's so very important about uh, about church. But, and going back to you were talking about obedience and how we should uh, enjoy the call to uh, obedience. Right. Uh, God commands us not to forsake this assembly or gathering. Right. Of, Right. of one another and it's for that very purpose very, for that very purpe you, you you know that Peter says the the 
the devil is a lion, a lion roaring and looking for someone to devour. And mm-hmm. if you if you take the analogy from nature, mm-hmm. the ones that the lions get are those stragglers and those who are out away from the the main body of they're the ones they look for. They're the ones they go for. So using that, you can you can you can see the argument Peter's making is you're going to get you're going to be a victim out there on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's powerful. Look at the language of scripture because in that same text, Paul Peter's talking about he's using the language of a shepherd. The shepherd keeps the flock together. He keeps right. them because there are strength in numbers. Exactly. Uh, and when you get out there on your own. Yeah, it's easy for the wolf right. to uh, and not it, be, uh, or it, a lion to devour. You. Right, exactly, and that's that's where the whole idea of of the special presence of God in the gathering. Mm-hmm. He's with me because I'm I'm full of His Holy Spirit. He's with me everywhere I go, but there's a different uh, manifestation, if that's the right word, of His presence when we gather together in obedience to to worship and to speak his words over each other right. in song and and uh, recitation of the creed and prayer. And you, you have that on your And the your sermon, notes. of course. Yeah, yeah. He speaks to us in that gathering. Well, let me ask you this. Does the role of prophet continue in the New Testament? Well, obviously, in the, in the, in the typical and reformed community, okay, uh, and when I say reformed, I, I, I will use the word very loosely here to refer to everybody other than the Charismatics and the Pentecostals. Charismatics and Pentecostals believe the prophetic role continues. I, I would only, I would only emphasize that if we're talking about, uh, calls to repentance, then certainly that can have a prophetic tone to it. But the idea that we're we're being given new information that God has never revealed to us before, which was the role of a prophet, uh, predictions about what's going to happen next month, next week, uh, the idea of new revelation, uh, none of that, none of that is part. If I were to acknowledge the presence of modern day prophets, I must recognize that none of the things that characterized them in the past. Uh, other than the calls to repentance and warnings of judgment would would be applicable today, okay? Mm-hmm. There are people out there, so I'm a prophet of God, and that means that whatever I say you should do, and uh, what's that phrase? Uh, something about if you if you hear the prophets, you'll you'll prosper oh, yeah. and and which is a valid biblical context. Mm-hmm. but the people using that typically are not prophets in the biblical sense of the word. Right. Jesus is the last prophet. Right. Okay. I was going to say, we touched on it a little bit before yeah. in, uh, uh, when we talked about Hebrews one, that Jesus is the final word. The, he is the prophet. Right, capital letters. Right. Right. Uh, John was the last prophet of the old Testament period. John the Baptist. Jesus is the first and ultimate prophet of the New Testament period. And yes, in the in the nascent years of the early church when it was just getting started, then they had prophets because mm-hmm. because everything God wanted going to do through the church had not been revealed. But once that period ended, we don't need anybody now giving us predictions 
And I would challenge anybody listening who's in favor of modern-day prophets, show me somebody who's really predicted something that they said came from God that could not be demonstrated through the Word or could not be demonstrated to be total foolishness or could not be demonstrated to be a good guess because of all of all the other information that's available uh, in, in those things. I've had experiences, by the way, with people who were considered to be prophets, and those prophets almost never called people sin. I called out people for their sin. It was always God's going to bless you. He's going to do this. He's going to He's going to open this door. But never a word. Now listen, this is important. If we all, if we agree that we're all broken and we're all failing, fallen, then at some point. God should be speaking to us, mm-hmm. and a true prophet would not ignore someone's sin. Exactly, he just wouldn't. The Old Testament prophets didn't do that. No true prophet would uh, uh, proclaim all blessing and no cursing or no call to obedience. Right, uh, but no correction of uh, you know of because, any sort. Right, and and that's part of the problem. But again, what you have in some of those, and it's a little bit off topic, but in some of those charismatic communities. They reject the idea that you're sinners. You know, Joyce Myers comes has come straight out and said, I'm not a sinner. Well, you're making a claim that contradicts the Bible and, and right. is a claim of perfection. Right. Uh, Joel Osteen says that uh, in an interview, he said, I sin as much as I want to. I just don't want to. Well, that's ludicrous. That's no, It's not scriptural. Uh, so a true prophet is going to call a true prophet. Now, let's be careful here because I don't want people to misunderstand and think, that I'm going to go into the church and the man behind the pulpit is going to call me by name and say, okay, last night you were down the street with that girl that you're not married to. I'm not talking about that, but I, because obviously I, I think that a true prophet could do that personally. You could come up to that and do that personally. But I'm saying about that at some point in this prophetic announcement, there should be a call to turn from real sins and not just a promise of constant blessing right uh and but that's that that would be the case if we were to agree that prophets are still in the new testament right. uh, most people again outside the charismatic pentecostal community most commentators and scholars agree that the prophets and the apostles were a first century phenomena and as the church became more structured and in in, under the leadership God intended and the pastors became more uh, forceful in the preaching of the scriptures. And here's the record that the role of a prophet, quote unquote, becomes redundant and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And I would argue, I would argue that today because you have people that go off. I've always made this joke as a pastor. It's not a joke, but a humorous observation. People will drive three hours to go hear somebody like Joyce Myers and won't walk across the street yeah. to go to a local church. Uh, that is an abuse. Mm-hmm. Even if I were to say, uh, even if I were to say that that person was a legitimate prophet, I would have to call out their, their failure to tell people you need to find a local church, right. you know, that's, that's of utmost yeah. importance. Absolutely, and that's Be a member or in the local church, and that's God's plan. Right. That's God's ideal. Mm-hmm. It is not a it is not a product of men. 
to be continued. We will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.